Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Governor Kathy Hochul, responding to strict new abortion laws in Texas, says she'll make New York a safe legal haven for women's reproductive health. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul, saying we have to stop extremists from taking women's rights away, appeared with New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and other female state and local leaders at the Women's Rights Pioneers Monument in New York City's Central Park. The Texas law prohibits abortions after six weeks of pregnancy and creates a kind of bounty system where people can be paid up to $10,000 if they report potential violators. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to issue a stay of the law while it reviews the case. Several other states, including Mississippi, Alabama, and Ohio, are considering similar laws. Hochul says the law takes away rights that many women have taken for granted for nearly half a century. I guarantee I did not know I was pregnant with my first child at six weeks. I actually went on a whitewater rafting trip, it turns out, at three months because I didn't know I was pregnant. I mean, that is the reality of real people, okay? We don't always know. So you're denied the choice that should be yours as a woman and something we took for granted by Texas who thinks six weeks is the magic date that you should have been aware, you should know this. And that is grotesquely unfair, what they're expecting people to do. The governor says she wants to create a safe harbor for abortion rights in New York for women who live in the state and also from Texas and other states contemplating more restrictions. New York was the first state to legalize access to abortion in 1970. In 2019, New York codified into state law the right to abortion established in the landmark U.S. Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade. Hochul is directing all state agencies to coordinate a public information campaign about a woman's right to choose an abortion in New York. She's also developing a patient's bill of rights to be posted in doctors' offices and healthcare clinics so that women will know their rights and legal protections. Healthcare providers will receive updated guidance on the right to provide abortion-related care. The governor also wants the state health department to ensure that medication that induces abortion is more readily available and can be accessed through telehealth visits. And the governor is sending a letter to Facebook, asking the social media company to quell the growing misinformation about abortion laws, asking them to help get the truth out. And she says she expects results. That we ensure that we don't allow those lies to continue, that there's accountability and responsibility at the top of those companies to help just tell the truth across this nation. Hochul has a long history with the issue of abortion rights. She attributes the 2012 loss of her Western New York congressional seat to her unwavering stance on a woman's right to choose the procedure. The state's Catholic conference called Hochul's actions political posturing. Kathleen Gallagher is director for pro-life activities. Seriously, 
is there anybody in the country who doesn't know that New York is the abortion capital of the world already? Gallagher says she would like the state's leaders to put the same efforts into helping women who are struggling to continue their pregnancies. Where's the Bill of Rights for women who choose to carry their baby to term? Gallagher says the state should be making just as strong an effort to inform women of access to neonatal care, health insurance coverage, and child care. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New Yorkers are still getting to know their new governor, according to the results of a Siena College Research Institute poll out this week. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus with details. Less than a month after taking office, New York Governor Kathy Hochul is viewed favorably by 42% of voters and unfavorably by 17%. 41 percent either don't know the Democrat or know enough about her to have an opinion. The poll found voters say Hochul, who took over for disgraced Governor Andrew Cuomo, has a more collaborative approach to government leadership than her predecessor by a 52 to 18 percent margin. Nearly three quarters say it's exciting to have the state's first female governor. Steve Greenberg is a spokesman for the poll. Early on, uh, she certainly has the ability to control the bully pulpit and make news. She's been across the state uh, multiple times in, in her first few weeks as governor. So we asked voters early on, how's she doing? Uh, 44% of voters say she's doing either an excellent or good job so far. 27% say she's doing a fair job. 10% say she's doing a poor job. The poll found Cuomo with a negative 34 to 55 percent favorability rating, his worst mark ever. But 39 percent say he left New York a better place to live and work. Cuomo's final job performance rating was 50 to 48 percent. Hochul's margin is 44 to 37. The Democrat has already said she plans to run for a full term in 2022. Greenberg says some potential primary opponents next year are also largely unknown to voters. One of the people mentioned as a potential uh, Democratic gubernatorial candidate is the attorney general, Letitia James. She's been elected statewide as well. Right now, 38 percent of voters view James favorably, 18 percent unfavorably, 45 percent either don't know her or don't know enough about her to have an opinion very comparable numbers to where Kathy Hochul stands. Greenberg says state controller Tom DiNapoli is also something of a mystery to voters. His favorability rating, 22-14, 64%, nearly two-thirds of voters don't know enough about Tom DiNapoli to have an opinion, and he's been in statewide office for over a decade. So it's a challenge if you're not the governor or the United States senator to really have uh, the voters, the majority of voters across the state, know who you are, pay attention to the job that you're doing. Not many New York voters have paid much attention to the race for the Republican nomination for governor in 2022. The poll found Andrew Giuliani with a negative 29 to 42 percent favorability rating. The GOP-backed Congressman Lee Zeldin has an 18 to 15 percent favorability rating. 
and former Republican gubernatorial candidate and Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino has a 17 to 15 percent favorability rating. The poll also finds President Biden's favorability down since June from 64 percent to 57. As for the pandemic, New York voters generally support COVID-19 vaccine mandates. 65 percent of New Yorkers say they uh, support employers requiring their employees to be vaccinated. Even higher, 69 percent say they support schools requiring vaccines for teachers and staff. When we asked how it's going to affect you, you know, do you support uh, businesses like gyms or restaurants requiring their customers to show proof of vaccination? Two thirds, 66 to 32 percent say, yes, they support it. The poll of 700 registered voters in New York was conducted September 7th through 12th and has a margin of error of 4.2 percentage points. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartalk. Well, Alan, as we just heard from our Ian Pickus, there's a new Siena poll out. On Governor Kathy Hochul, less than a month after taking office, the governor is viewed favorably by 42% of voters and unfavorably by 17%. 41% either don't know the Democrat or know enough about her to have an opinion. The Democrat has already said she plans to run for a full term in 2022. It is very early. And of course, as you've said, often when it comes to people in politics and candidates that are chosen, who he or who she? I think that's the problem, David. A lot of people don't know who she is. If you walked out onto the street and you took a poll, they still wouldn't know. They'd say, okay, who's the governor? Forget about it, Jack. So I do think an awful lot of people wished her well as a result of the turmoil that surrounded the departing then-Governor Cuomo. They wanted things to be back to normal. She had tremendous support from an awful lot of widespread people across the state. Now... That doesn't mean she has a free ride when it comes to running again. After all, she does come from the Niagara-Erie area. She has her vulnerabilities. She was a congresswoman, and she was defeated. She is a competent speaker. I've listened to her speeches. I, I don't find them to be inspirational, but I certainly do find them to be competent. I use the word competent in a couple of columns and other places, and some people got angry at me. and They said, you shouldn't be using the word competent. That's a put-down. What? The word competent is a put-down? It's not. But if you're going to be a great leader, you've got to be inspirational. FDR was and so many others. And that's what makes for greatness. We'll see whether or not she rises to that. Right now, it is clear from this poll that New Yorkers are behind her and want her to succeed. Well, how about another state official who may put his hat into the ring for governor, state controller Tom DiNapoli, also something of a mystery to voters. And he's been in office as the chief financial officer for a while now, including his turn in the assembly before that. But still, the issue of 
Who are these people? People don't know they're government officials. Well, I think that's right. Tom DiNapoli, you know, uh, let me tell you, I do this for a living. I watch leaders. Tom DiNapoli is easily far and away, and I've often said it, sometimes at a consternation, obviously, of Governor Cuomo. I've said it to his face. I've said it on the radio to him. Tom DiNapoli is by far the best public servant that we have. You know, he started out as controller being appointed basically by the assembly, who had the most votes. And a lot of people said, oh, he's, you know, just going to be one of them. Turns out that he is as good as it gets. And we could be doing a lot worse than have Tom DiNapoli as our governor. Of course, this is the year of the woman. And we do see that Kathy Hochul will be running again. It's probable that the state attorney general will, will take a role also. And that there will be others who come into the race. But while DiNapoli is more than competent, he's really good, it would be a far shot to see him running because of what you just said. A lot of people don't know him. I do, and I think he's terrific. New York's Independent Redistricting Commission was unable to avoid partisan divides, releasing two opposing maps to redesign congressional and state-elected office districts, one backed by Democrats, the other backed by Republicans. Partisan accusations coming from these maps that have been created. Of course, there are public hearings on this. Your thoughts? Well, we all know that no matter what they say about nonpartisanship and being fair, that when you have the ability to knock people out of office, if they're in the other party, all too often it happens. Now, we do know that when the last time this was done, it had to be done with an eye towards keeping the people in the Republican-dominated state Senate happy, or the potential of Republican domination in the state Senate happy. Now, the state Senate is pretty comfortably in Democratic hands, as is the Assembly. And so when you see that the legislature is going to have the last swipe at this, it is probably that the New York plan will succeed in adding a couple of congressmen to the very very close Nancy Pelosi leadership problem of keeping the House Democratic. Well, you can be sure that not only are they doing it here in New York, but that they're doing it in Republican states also. And so it is a corrupt system because the gerrymander is what is creating winners and losers. And that shouldn't be. There should be a mechanism whereby this is done fairly and correctly. New York passed such a law, but apparently forget about that. They're going to do what's good for the Democrats in New York as the Republicans will do what's good for the Republicans in their states. Alan, what about something we haven't talked about in a while and something seems to have disappeared from the headlines, which is the investigation into former President Donald Trump's organization by the New York City DA. Also, Tish James, the AG, has investigations into him, but everything's sort of gone silent. Yes, I'm very disappointed in what's happened. You know, we heard an awful lot about what was going to happen when Trump was removed by the electorate from office he was, and it hasn't happened. Look, this guy, Trump, stood up and said, let's go to the Capitol. He motivated the riot. Now we're taking pleas. We're saying you shouldn't have done it. We're slapping people on the hand a lot too lightly for what they did. So why Trump isn't indicted for what he did, why he isn't in jail for the kinds of things we've heard, I don't know. Nevertheless, something is terribly wrong here in terms of giving him and assigning him the responsibility for what he's done. 
Ellen, I didn't get a chance to ask you this, but I wanted to get to it. The Federal Bureau of Investigation released the first of what is expected to be several documents related to its investigation on the 9-11 terror attacks and suspected Saudi government support for hijackers. The newly declassified document provides details of the FBI's work to investigate the alleged logistical support that a Saudi consular official and a suspected Saudi intelligence agent in Los Angeles provided at least two of the men who hijacked planes on September 11, 2001. We've always known of this Saudi involvement. We knew the hijackers yeah. were Saudi nationals. And yet we've been in Iraq and we've been in Afghanistan and the Saudis, well, we seem to have a, in quotes, special relationship with them. That's right. Look, in the old days, we needed the Saudi oil. I didn't like it. Now we don't need their oil. In fact, we're moving away from fossil fuels, which we should be doing. So there doesn't seem to be a rationale for the continued relationship with the Saudis. And the fact that this material has been released and is so embarrassing to them shows us the Biden administration may be on the right track here. Legislative Gazette Political Observer, Alan Chartok. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Research from Albany Medical Center has shed new light on the infectiousness of COVID-19 that could shorten hospital stays for patients. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports. Researchers at Albany Medical College and Albany Medical Center Hospital found that patients with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, are infectious only during the initial onset of symptoms. One of the study's lead authors, Dr. Dennis Metzger, professor and chair of the Department of Immunology and Microbial Disease, says it focused on patients between 55 and 92 years old hospitalized at Albany Med. We tested them at various times after uh, they, they were admitted to the hospital, and uh, their swabs, their nasal swabs, showed actual infectious virus uh, only within the first 12 days. But some of these patients remain positive for the virus by PCR for up to 60 uh, days, up to two months. And because of that, because they were positive by the PCR test, they couldn't be released from the hospital. They showed no symptoms. Uh, I would assume they were more than ready to go home. Uh, but because they remain PCR positive, they couldn't be released. Albany Med President and CEO Dr. Dennis McKenna says it may be a while before the research impacts health care protocols. There was a time when hospitals were not allowed to discharge people from the hospital setting back to what we call a congregate living facility when they tested positive because there was an executive order. That executive order has been lifted However, uh, the skilled nursing facilities, the nursing homes, et cetera, are still uh, unwilling to take those patients back, despite uh, the, the literature and, and what we've shown in the study. 
So we're working hard to try to get them to understand that what we're looking to do is still safe and something that is the right thing to do for the patients. Therefore, Dave, as of today still, those patients are still waiting in hospital beds at OPMED and other hospitals until their tests are negative. And we're hoping and we believe that this study published will actually begin to change that. Metzger says standard diagnostic tests don't distinguish between active virus and other viral genomic fragments that no longer contain active virus. He sees the study eventually helping put an end to overcrowding at medical facilities. Nobody wants to be stuck in the hospital for two months when you don't need to. Uh, it's uncomfortable for the patient, it's expensive, it uh, takes up hospital beds, and so if we can be a little bit smarter in how we're handling this uh, uh, type of situation, that, that would help a lot in many areas. The study, published in the August 2021 issue of the Journal of Clinical Virology, was done using patients with the original COVID-19 virus, not the Delta variant. But researchers say the results would be applicable to Delta and other variants. There's a link to the study at wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. State and local lawmakers in northern New York are calling on Governor Kathy Hochul to use her new status to push the Biden administration to reopen the U.S. Canada border. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley reports. The border closed to non essential travelers in March 2020, and the closure was extended monthly. In August, Canadian officials reopened their land crossings to non-essential travelers if certain COVID-19 protocols are met, but the U.S. side has remained closed. The continuing refusal to allow Canadian travelers to cross land borders is exasperating officials on the American side. If the Canadians can figure out how to open the border to us, how is it that the United States can't figure out a way to open the border to them? 45th District Republican State Senator Dan Steck says it should not be complicated to create a plan to reopen the border. He says the region has now seen the loss of a second summer tourism season and is entering the fall foliage and holiday seasons. The summer season is over and we've lost that. But what shortly follows on the heels of that? Columbus Day weekend. Anyone that's familiar with the Adirondacks at all knows that that's when everybody likes to visit the Adirondacks. We've got beautiful fall colors, the weather is nice, and the area is bustling with activity. Simultaneously, that weekend is the Canadian Thanksgiving holiday. It's a long weekend for both countries on both sides of the border that historically has seen a tremendous amount of cross-border traffic. There's economic activity that's generated. Senator Steck, whose district spans from Queensbury to the border, wrote to Governor Kathy Hochul, 
and President Joe Biden, both Democrats. He notes that Governor Hochul from western New York is, quote, undoubtedly keenly aware of the distinctive and critically important U.S.-Canadian relationship, unquote. Steck hopes Hochul will push the federal administration to reopen the border. The New York governor is in a position to say, Mr. President, as we try to right the ship in New York, as we try to put this bad chapter behind us, you know, this embarrassment to our party, what's high on my list, Mr. President? We need to figure out a way to reopen that border responsibly and quickly. She's in a position to deliver that message that Governor Cuomo couldn't because of his long tenure and all his other problems. He wasn't asking for any favors on the border. He, whatever favors he was using up in Washington had nothing to do with the Canadian border. But she's in a position to say, hey, clean slate, what can the federal government do to help me? In his letter to President Biden, Senator Steck says there was relief and gratitude when Canada reopened its border. But he is dismayed that the U.S. did not reciprocate. No plan for the border is inexcusable. It's not professional. It does not bode well for confidence in, in, in governance, our inability to come up with a, this is the plan for the Canadian border. A few months ago, it was the Canadians that were skittish, and we were talking about unilaterally reopening the border. Now here we find ourselves in mid-September, and it's flip-flopped, where the Canadians are the ones that are letting vaccinated New Yorkers in, but the United States has not reciprocated that. And again, that's, that's no way to treat your best friend on the international uh, scene. Republican Clinton County Legislature Chair Mark Henry says all things considered, the region's economy is in fairly good shape. Clinton County economy is doing fairly well. Our sales taxes are up, um, our revenues are up. Some of that has to do with the planning of this legislature and the, and, and the budget that we built over the last year. The numbers are okay. We think they would have been better. Um, on the issue of the Canadian border, we in Clinton County need this border open. We need clarity, we need a plan, we need it done safely. We know that's not gonna happen tomorrow. But give us a plan. U.S. officials will determine whether to keep the land borders closed for another month on September 21st. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2138. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at the same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino. <laughs>